in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard has a Star Talk report on the four planets on view in this week's evening sky. Christine San Jose recites poems inspired by writers with compassion for the beauty of planet Earth. In Hooked on Fishing, Sweetwater Fishing Guide Evan Padoa reports on the Upper Delaware River for early May. In her segment, Now You Know, we'll learn about the Bashakil Area Association. Stephanie Phillips speaks with President Paula Medley. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Amy Held. Ukraine's president is urging hypervigilance ahead of Russia's Victory Day Monday. Ukraine is imposing strict curfews in areas as it braces for the potential of stepped-up Russian attack. NPR's Jason Bobian has more from Lviv. President Vladimir Zelensky is calling on Ukrainians to be on high alert in the coming days. The concern is that Russia may intensify attacks on Ukraine before Moscow holds military parades on Monday to celebrate the end of World War II. Zelensky called on people to actually take shelter when air raid sirens go off. The air raid warnings have become so frequent that many Ukrainians now ignore them. He also asked that people comply with local curfews. Several parts of the country will go under complete lockdown starting Sunday night, in which only emergency personnel will be allowed on the streets. People near the front lines in Zaporizhia and the strategic port of Odessa are being ordered to stay in their homes until Tuesday. Jason Bobian, NPR News, Lviv. Ukraine's military says Russia is increasing bombardments on the eastern Donbas region, damaging or destroying dozens of homes and businesses overnight. The line of defense there has held since 2014. First Lady Jill Biden is visiting Slovakia and Romania this weekend, where NPR's Scott Detrow reports she's meeting with Ukrainian refugees and American troops stationed along NATO's eastern flank. First Lady Jill Biden toured a school in Bucharest that has taken in Ukrainian refugee students. Alongside Romania's First Lady, Biden listened as teachers told her about the programs. Many of the teachers are refugees themselves, and they press to put together a program for their students so they can learn and get acclimated to Romania. Biden also went to the U.S. Embassy in Bucharest and heard from officials talking about refugees in Romania, where about 90,000 Ukrainians have settled, at least temporarily, after leaving their own country. More abortion rights protests are planned across the U.S. today, following the leak of a draft Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade. Chuck Kornbach of member station WUWM reports hundreds of people are expected to march in Milwaukee. Wisconsin is one of several states with pre-Roe near-total abortion bans on the books that could take effect if Roe is overturned. Advocates of abortion rights say that would force the shutdown of the four Wisconsin clinics that perform abortions. Mike Murray of Planned Parenthood, Wisconsin, says protests are important to pressure lawmakers to take action to preserve abortion rights. And to make sure that people that are running for office know that they're going to be held accountable. All four Republicans running for Wisconsin governor this year say they're abortion opponents. 
while Democratic incumbent Tony Evers is calling for Congress to take immediate action to protect access to abortion. For NPR News, I'm Chuck Quirmbach in Milwaukee. And you're listening to NPR News. Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections. With showrooms at Lake Wall and Poppock, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farming Country. Coming up on today's show, Christine San Jose recites poetry inspired by writers with compassion for the beauty of planet Earth. Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua reports on the Upper Delaware River for early May. Stephanie Phillips speaks with President Paula Medley about the Bashakil Area Association in her segment Now You Know. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk Report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. For Farm and Country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. Four planets will be in the sky just before sunrise all this week, albeit very briefly. The planets will form a diagonal line from the east upward to the southeast. The planets, in order from closest to the horizon to highest in the sky, are Venus, Jupiter, Mars, and Saturn. Starting in the east, Venus will be the brightest of the quartet, shining at magnitude negative four. Jupiter will shine the next brightest at magnitude negative 2.1, and Mars and Saturn will be shining at about the same brightness, around magnitude 0.8. Saturn will round out the quartet and will be in the southeast. The magnitude scale is logarithmic, meaning that Venus will outshine Mars and Saturn by almost 89 times. Venus will be the last of the four planets to rise when it does so around 4.10 a.m. this week. But it won't be until 5 a.m. that Venus will be high enough in the sky to be easily seen. This will only leave about 30 minutes to view all four planets at once. Starting around 5.30 a.m., the glare of the not-yet-rising sun may be bright enough to wash out the fainter planets of Mars and Saturn. By 5.45 a.m., even Venus may be swallowed up by the light of the sun. Don't miss this brief window all week to see Venus Jupiter, Mars, and Saturn in the sky at once, starting in the east and rising to the southeast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up.
For WJFF and Farm and Country, this is Christine San Jose. Some heartfelt cries along the poet's row today. First, William Wordsworth writing, oh, almost 200 years ago, The Windermere Railway. Is there no nook of English ground secure from rash assault? Schemes of retirement sown in youth, and mid the busy world kept pure as when their earliest flowers of hope were blown, must perish. How can they this blight endure? And must he too the ruthless change bemoan, who scorns a false utilitarian lure mid his paternal fields at random thrown? Baffle the threat bright seen from Orris head, given to the pausing traveller's rapturous glance. Plead for thy peace, thou beautiful romance of nature. And if human hearts be dead, speak passing winds, ye torrents, with your strong and constant voice, protest against the wrong. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I suppose you might make a case for the railway. I suppose the railways have brought a lot of good with them. But so many things threatening us today that do not bring good in their wake. And here to remind us is Benjamin from Colorado, shared with us by highlights. Don't pollute our world. First you, your house, your town, your state, your country, your planet, your solar system, your galaxy, your universe. All these are our homes. Treat them kindly or they will die. Don't pollute our world. Well said, Benjamin. We have a lot of young people speaking sense these days, and we need to listen to them. And now here's a poem from Brian Finelli, and his poems are always, always well worth reading. And Brian wrote this soon after the death of W.S. Merwin, and he calls it Thinking of Merwin, Thinking of the Earth. Last autumn, climate scientists reported we have a decade to get it right, to prevent the great end. And even if we survive, who would want to live here still? What kind of world would it be with seesawing temperatures, walls of waves swallowing coastal cities, and countries warring over fresh water? Merwin died. And I wanted to weep, thinking of his frail hands tending his garden in Hawaii, his puff of white hair obscured by leafy plants. I think of his poem, The End of the World, whenever I read another article about another animal extinct in this age of the Anthropocene. Then I recall another Merwin poem, about planting a tree on the last day of the world, water touching its roots, the sun sinking, and the clouds passing one by one over its leaves. That's Brian Finelli. Thank you, Brian. And 
I can't really read much W.S. Merwin because he isn't in the public domain and the poetry I, I read is in the public domain. I wouldn't wish to do contemporary poets not in the public domain out of the money they're due, but we don't have the money for that. So I always read public domain poetry plus our own wonderful local singing birds and of course what would we do without them poems from the children but I will read you a little of W.S. Merwin and if you don't happen to know him I would say please easy to look him up on the internet wonderful wonderful poet so I'll read you a little from Green Fields by W.S. Merwin he says by this part of the century, few are left who believe in the animals, for they are not there in the carved parts of them served on plates, and the pleas from the slatted trucks are sounds of shadows that possess no future. There is still game for the pleasure of killing, and there are pets for the children." But the lives that followed courses of their own other than ours and older have been migrating before us. Some are already far on the way. This has been Christine San Jose for Farm and Country along the Poets Road. For Radio Catskill and Farm and Country, this is Evan Padua bringing you Hooked on Fishing. May is here, and so are the American Shad. The Alosa sapidissima, the scientific name. These fish are an anadromous species meaning they live primarily in saltwater and swim up freshwater rivers to perform spawning rituals. These fish are generally between 16 and 24 inches long, with a broad silver body and black forked tails. They also have a blue shimmer to them. It is beautiful. Many people target this species with a rod and reel, and they've certainly developed a cult-like following of fishermen straight for the American Shad. It has been observed over the years of American Shad runs and spawning migrations that there are fewer return Shad spawns. Most Shad are dying after one spawning cycle. This actually leans to there being a lot more Shad in our oceans and rivers than there once was, just not as many large ones necessarily. Some folks may be familiar with John McPhee's published book called The Founding Fish, which is a good, factual book about American Shad and American history. Give it a read. American Shad will best be seen later in May and early June when they have completed their spawning cycle and have begun to swim near to the surface erratically. You will see this silver fish in our local Delaware River. 
It is a circle of life story, as they procreate, then die, and add nutrients to our local ecosystem. Get out and try your shot at shad fishing. For Radio Catskill, Farm and Country, and Hooked on Fishing, this has been Evan Padua, casting off. I've interviewed several wonderful members of the Bashakill Area Association. Maybe you remember Bill Cutler talking about amphibians and reptiles, or Pamela Goldman on coyotes and possums, or Mike Medley on hiking trails. Today we're going to find out just what the Bashakill Area Association is. I'm asking the president, Paula Medley, to explain. Paula, what drew you to the Bashakil Area Association, and how long have you been president of the organization? Well, what drew me to the organization was its activism and commitment to the environment. I observed that from around 1999 to 2001, when the town of Mamacating was developing its master plan. And there was a lot of controversy regarding the master plan, And I started going to public hearings and speaking on behalf of my husband and and myself regarding the difficulties we had with that document. And I noted that there were many people representing an organization called the Bashakilla Area Association. And I really appreciated their passion about the environment making changes. So I was attracted through those hearings. I also had recently, my husband and I had recently moved from Cragsmoor, a small community on the Shangam Ridge above Ellenville, where I had been president of an environmental group there, the Cragsmoor Association, for 11 years. And we successfully fought a huge windmill project on top of the mountain. So it was kind of a natural fit to go from being president of that organization to being the head of another one. And and that I've done for 18 years. But the Bashakal Area Association itself was then in existence before you became president. Oh, yes. The organization was actually founded in 1972. We're very excited because we are celebrating this year our 50th anniversary, which I consider one of our greatest successes, to continue to be a vital, productive group comprised of volunteers for this long a period of time. And the Bashakil itself, how big is that, and how was the land acquired? The Bashakil Wildlife Management Area, and now it's around 3,000-acre property, and it was purchased in 1972, the same year that the BKA was founded, 
through an environmental bond act, a state environmental bond act. That bond act allowed for the purchases of the initial parcels that now comprise the wildlife management area. But it grew some since then. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It started out with parcels, probably maybe a, a couple thousand acres. And every few years, when it's possible, the state will add a few acres here and there. Paula, can you describe the terrain here in the Bashakil? Well, first of all, the, the terrain is predominantly flat, but it's not completely flat because part of the wildlife management area doesn't include just the wetland. It includes on the eastern border some upland portions that go up the slope of the Shangam Ridge so that you have the flat wetlands are at about 500 feet elevation above sea level and then above that you have part of the upland bashakil will go another two three hundred feet above the wetlands so right now as i drove in it's very wet in the wetlands i guess because of the melting snow and the rain that we've had yeah yeah and wetlands of course as you well know are extremely valuable they prevent flooding if it wasn't for the wetlands being here, Route 209 would constantly be flooded. They cleanse the water, they recharge the aquifer, they provide habitat for many animals and plants, as well as recreational opportunities. Not to mention that bird watchers love it. They just flock to the Bashakel. It's a important bird area. It has that by the Audubon Society and then the, it's a bird conservation area, and that's a DEC designation. The Bashakil Wildlife Management Area is highlighted in Sullivan County's open space plan, as well as New York State's open space plan for its biodiversity, for the great variety of both vegetation and wildlife that exists on the property. And this is due to several reasons. First of all, the wetland itself is comprised of a stream that's moving fairly quickly into the wetland. Then you have calm waters on the side of where the stream is, and even calmer waters and the edges of the wetland. So each of these new environments attract different vegetation, and different animals. You also have, besides the wetlands, you have that portion of the wildlife management area that includes the upland area, where you're going to be getting your bear, your coyote, your foxes, and other animals and plants that might not normally be in a wetland ecosystem. I mean, I've had Marty Borco walk on the Haven Road, and he'll just walk on Haven Road with a group of uh, participants, and he'll point out 30 to 40 different types of plant species just right. alongside the road, whereas everybody's walking along the road or driving along the road. They see a couple plants they don't know, but there's really a lot there. So the biodiversity is what the Bashakil Wildlife Management Area is really known for. Suppose it's somebody's first visit to the Bashakil, where would you recommend that they go? 
Okay, I recommend to get the best view and the most expansive view and the greatest opportunity probably for viewing wildlife would be to take Haven Road off of 209 and just go to the bridge there and you get vast views of the wetland both north and south as well as the backdrop of the Shangam Ridge knowing that most people who come to paint the Bashik Hill, that's where they go. That's where they'll they'll park themselves right there on Haven Road because it is one of the more dramatic views. And I assume they'll need waterproof boots if they're going to go walking around. Yeah, yeah, but most people stay right there on the road. If you go on any of the trails, however, and the major trails are the on the western part of the Vashakil next to 209 would be the D&H Canal, Delaware and Hudson Canal towpath, which is about three miles long. And the other one is the railroad trail or the long path at the eastern edge of the Vashakil. The long path goes from the George Washington Bridge in Manhattan up to the Catskills. And part of it goes to the Bashakil. Both of those trails can be very wet, especially the Long Path or Railroad Trail on the eastern end can be very wet. Can you give us maybe just one example of a success that the BKAA has had? I would say in recent years, one of our largest successes has been contributing to the prevention of the Yukaguni mushroom plant being built very close to the headwaters of the Bashakil. It was first proposed for 2003. It wasn't entirely defeated. It took almost 10 years to defeat it. It wasn't just us that did it, but we contributed. Initially, they had wanted to take out 2 million gallons of water from the aquifer on a daily basis. And so we got very involved with it. And that was one of our big successes, I would say. Celebrating 50 years is a huge one, too, this year. For sure. And if we want to know what activities are being planned, can you give us the website? Yes. It's www.thebashakill.org. And there is a Facebook page, and we try to have our newsletters and our brochures at the the Meek Center and different places around town. So we have to say the Bashakil. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much, Paul. Sure, sure. So now you know what a special resource the Bashakil is. You heard about it from Paula Medley, longtime president of the Bashakil Area Association. And this has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. On today's show, Farming Country features the music of Steve Jacoby. Steve is one of the singer-songwriter musicians of the Upper Delaware Collective. 
they will be performing at the Drive-In Music Concert, featuring four bands on a mobile, rotating stage. Save the date, Saturday, June 18th, from 6 to 9 p.m., outdoors at the Union in Narrowsburg, New York. Sit outside by the fire pit, bring a picnic dinner, and enjoy the music of Poison Love, Brewster Smith, Cliff Westfall, and the Tomb Keepers. Saturday, June 18th, 6 to 9 p.m., outdoors at the Union in Narrowsburg, New York. that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard, Christine San Jose, Evan Padua, and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guest Paula Medley, president of the Bashik Hill Area Association. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org The latest Top 40 British Folk Music album chart is just out, so next time on The Waggle of the Monkeys with me, Graham Rice, here on WJR.